0: The reading today is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, which can be found in your church Bibles in 1092. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or days the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight.
1: Today we're launching into a new series uh, called The Living Church, and we're going to begin to be working through uh, the book of Acts and looking uh, as the book of Acts is sort of really about how the gospel spread and, and was taken to new people in new places and in new ways and, uh, and, and new languages and all of that. And uh, today as we get ready to start off, we want to just sort of give you a little bit of a report back from last week because last week we launched French Connect, and we've all been praying for that service, and we can want to continue praying because now that that we've launched it uh, in many ways, now the, the real work begins uh, week after week of uh, praying and drawing people in. Uh, but we'd love to just take a few minutes to watch this uh, video that we made just after the service ended uh, last uh, Sunday afternoon. Isn't that great? Um, it was really exciting to be there and to see this uh, new thing that God is bringing to birth. As we turn to the uh, passage now, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living word and for your call on our lives. We pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to understand the call and the purpose that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme, as H said, of this new period is looking at what it means to be a living church, fully alive to God and to the world. And um, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see different elements that sort of characterized that first church, things that uh, stand out in the different episodes we'll look at. We'll see something of the, the nature of leadership within the early church. We'll see something of the, the fullness that they lived in, the, um, the wonder that they experienced as they saw God at work, the confidence that they came from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, the, the truth-telling which was sometimes hard to grapple with in, and yet which was the foundation of their church life together, the, the freedom they experienced in Christ, the vision that God gave them, uh, to look outwards and, and then that sense of peace that God gives by his, uh, through the gospel. Peace with God and peace with others. But the whole thing stems from uh, the passage that we had this morning. It all comes out of a sense of purpose that God has given them. And that's our theme for today as we look at Acts chapter one the purpose that God has um, for these early Christians. Now sometimes today, uh, nowadays we use the word purpose in a slightly sort of negative way. Um, I as a father, um, that's always a bad thing to say because when my children are here listening they suddenly there, their attention gets sparked up but as a father I have to say that the word purpose in our, in our in our house is often used negatively um, when something goes wrong and one of my children turned to me and say, but I didn't do it on purpose. And very often we use that on purpose as a sort of an excuse for not doing things. But you know purpose in the Bible and purpose in our lives is never a negative thing. God didn't sort of do us and then look, uh, make us and then look and say, oops, I didn't do that on purpose. Because there was intention behind the creation of the world, the universe, and the way God has made us. He did it on purpose. Um, God calls his people, he calls each one of us to have a sense of purpose, not simply to float into things. One of the characteristics of society nowadays is that people find themselves in situations by default. In fact, that can even be the case in the relationships we build. It's one of the reasons I love preparing couples for marriage. Because marriage is different, because there's a sense of purpose. You choose to get married. You say to, to 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 the friends around you and to God, this isn't just a default mechanism. We're not here because there happens not to be anybody better around. We choose. And in life as Christians, we're called to live with a sense of purpose, not simply to float around. We just happen to be there because there's nothing better, no. God calls us to be people who are carrying his image, to be image bearers. He calls us to be his people. He gives us a sense of purpose. And so for us as individuals and for us as a church, God does not want to hear us saying, I didn't do it on purpose. Quite the opposite, he wants us to say, I did it on purpose. Where I go, what I think, what I say, those I pray for. I wanna do it on purpose, intentionally serving God, not just floating around, but making a difference because we do it with a sense of purpose. Now in Acts chapter one, we're in that sort of period as we heard earlier, between the resurrection and the ascension, a period of 40 days during which Jesus instructs and guides his followers. He speaks to them. Our passage said it very clearly, verse three, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. They are to be heralds of the king. If you like, they're to be messengers of the kingdom, or simply witnesses to what they have seen and heard. 40 days, 40 days of instruction, 40 days of listening, 40 days to get a sense of why they were there, why God had chosen them. Now the interesting thing is that we actually have two accounts of that period of 40 days. One comes at the end of, Luke's gospel, and the other one here comes at the beginning of the book of Acts, both of them written by Luke, one at the end, one at the beginning, and it's interesting to compare them. They give us the same elements, but slightly presented in different ways. But here are the three things that we can draw out this morning from that from that. Um, 40 day period and from the two accounts that we're given in scripture, particularly from Acts chapter one. Three things and the first thing is very, very simple. It's this, our purpose comes from Jesus. I mean as Christians that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Our purpose comes from Jesus, well of course it does but in life there are so many things that pull us one way or the other that we're called to define ourselves by So many things that we look to in order to get our motivation. And those things are not wrong. It's right to be looking for a university. It's right to be looking for a good job. It's right to be thinking where we're going in our contexts. But ultimately, our purpose in life does not come from those things. Our purpose comes from Jesus. And in our passage, Jesus is the one who tells them why they are there. Everything in our passage centers on him. In fact, the very beginning of the book of Acts reminds us, although, although this is gonna be the book of the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the, of the New Testament, or the first, the first century church, in fact, it still centers on Jesus. The very, very beginning of our book, of our passage, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Can you see what's what's intimated there is that, of course, this is now Jesus continuing to do and to teach. Simply his mode of operation has changed because now it will be through his people, the church. Listen, friends, it is when we get Jesus into focus in our lives that we discover our purpose. It is as we see Jesus more clearly, we begin to see ourselves more clearly because we are made in his image. The purpose for which God has us here becomes clear as we look not at ourselves, firstly. Not our abilities, our gifts, our context, our education, our family background, our job, our home, our aspirations, all those things are good But it isn't actually looking at ourselves that we discover our purpose, it's as we look at Christ. and As we look at him, we see a reflection back into our own lives, and he speaks to us, and he shows us what we're called to do. Get him into focus, our lives get into focus. Lose sight of Jesus, we lose our way. Now there's something actually quite surprising about these 40 days where Jesus is with the disciples because uh, it, the text says, says uh, after his suffering he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Well I mean just think about that for a moment. He's with them, they've seen the resurrection. Now for 40 days he's with them and apparently during that 40 day period he gives them many convincing proofs that he's alive but I mean how many more proofs do you need than actually him being there? I mean, do you think he every day he sort of he, he, he ate fish again or he showed them his wounds again? How many convincing proofs did they need if, if being, him being there with them for 40 days wasn't enough? Well, I don't actually think it's talking about objective empirical evidence here. It's talking about something different. He gives them proofs that he is alive as he takes time to open the scriptures with them and to explain so that they can begin to come into his living mindset, into the way in which he thinks and moves. That comes out very clearly in Luke's account, right the other at the end, the other one, um, in, in Luke chapter 24, this is what it says. It says, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Verse 45, verse 46, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's focusing them on himself, and he's giving them proofs that he's alive, not simply because he's there, but because he's opening up the scriptures. We know that during that 40-day period, he spent time in the scriptures explaining to them how all the scriptures were about himself. I mean, don't you just wish you'd been there? I mean, I really wish I'd been there in that 40-day period. There are bits of the Bible, and I think, is this about Jesus? How does it fit together? But this is what Jesus did with them. He took them through the scriptures. He he helped them understand how it all points to him and how it all focuses in on his death and his resurrection. It needed time to do that because for Jews in the first century, the idea of a crucified Messiah was totally scandalous. They had longings that God would come and give the, the nation a new sense of purpose as the king would come and drive out the, uh, the forces of occupation and be triumphantly bringing in his, his new reign. And, and, and they were longing for this great conquering king. And the idea that the king would come and be defeated, be put to death, was totally scandalous. In the Jewish mindset of the time, it needed 40 days plus lots of preparation for Jesus to be able to get through to them and explain in his mindset why he needed to come, why it is that God's love goes so far that he's willing to offer himself. He doesn't come to conquer his enemies. He comes to love them. He comes to give himself for them, to draw them in, and Christ, when he gave his life, And then he broke through the barrier of death and came alive again, was setting a completely new template in place. The disciples needed time because this was completely new for Jews. In the Jewish mindset, a crucified king? That's impossible. Now here, friends, is the thing. Whatever our specific call, and we all have calls on our lives, and the lovely thing is, of course, that God doesn't call you to be like you or me to be like you, he calls you to be like you, if you see what I mean, like you to be like yourself. He calls you into, to, to flourish as, a, as an individual in his, in, his, in his realm, in his presence. All uh, our lives have calls on them, but whatever specific call we have, one thing is sure. One thing is sure, it will always be centered on Jesus Christ. God's call on your life, God's purpose for you centers always on Jesus and it will always be based on the template of the cross and the resurrection. Always. There's no escape. Following Jesus means aligning your life with his. It means following him to the cross and then seeing the resurrection power break in. Whatever purpose, wherever he calls you, it will always always be marked by the cross and the resurrection. And that's why we need to know the scriptures. We need to plunge into them, we need to be receiving them, we need to be getting to know this king who gave his life and then who broke through the barrier of death so that as we try and align our lives with him, as we become more in his image, so the cross and the resurrection become visible in our lives. We need to know the scriptures to discover our purpose. So there's the first thing, our purpose is centered on Jesus. Whatever we're from, wherever we're from, whatever our context, however old or young we are, whatever nationality we come from, Jesus is the template. But there's a second thing, because Jesus goes on, it says that for 40 days he speaks to them, in verse three, about the kingdom of God, so the purpose God's purpose on our lives is also kingdom shaped. It's not about building my kingdom, of course, or your kingdom, it's about finding our place in God's kingdom perspective. And that's ultimately what our lives are about. The king, the kingdom, God's kingdom breaking in, lives transformed. Now, there's another strange thing, though, in this passage. Because it says that for 40 days, He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now friends, just remember that they've been with him already for three years, yeah? And what is the subject of his ministry, of his teaching? For three years, it's the kingdom of God, yeah? All his parables, we call them the parables of the kingdom. His teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, it's about the the logic of the kingdom. His miracles, it's about the inbreaking of the kingdom. If Jesus hadn't been talking about the kingdom already, what was he doing? For three years he's been talking about the kingdom. Why now for 40 more days as if that wasn't quite enough? What is that that he's giving? What's the added value now? Well, here's the thing. If the disciples need a new mindset with regards to the king, they also now need a radical new mindset with regards to the kingdom. Because the Jews had a certain way of understanding Jesus, as he's talking to them here, and he's telling them to wait for the, for the coming gift that the, the Father has, <clears throat> has promised, for the Spirit to come. It's, it's lighting up loads of things in their minds as good, God-fearing Jews. They're thinking back to the pictures in the Old Testament of the time when God would come. God would pour out his Spirit and his kingdom would be there. And they have, and they have ideas of what that means at last. God's people, Israel, will be established as the true and and righteous kingdom, the place where God will dwell in his temple, a people holy and without compromise. Now, understand well, the whole of the Old Testament is about a struggle between that calling and idolatry, the draw of the nations, the pagan nations around are always distracting Israel from their call, their purpose is to be his people. And yet the nations around who follow idols, the pagan nations are always drawing them away. That's why Israel throughout the Old Testament is is being called back by the prophets. Come, separate yourself, be holy, be different so that you can prepare a way. And that's why the exile for the Old Testament people was so traumatic because they were called to be different, to be separate. And yet by the exile they were sent into the nations They were in Babylon, it was the the center of the pagan world. How far can you get from the call to be a distinct people? And the danger throughout the Old Testament was that they would be mixed in and they'd lose their distinctiveness, they'd lose that identity. And so their, their longing as people of God is that one day God will come and will call them back from the exile to Jerusalem. And once again, we'll make them a pure people ready for him. And by his king, his anointed one, the Messiah, they will become a light, they will become a place where God dwells. Not tainted by paganism, not tainted by idols, but pure, set apart. An image of God in his creation, that's their longing. And so you can see naturally how when Jesus starts talking about that the time is coming, God's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to purify his people. They get excited and they say, is it now that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Or perhaps they have in, in mind the, the slightly more universal picture of the later prophets some of the prophets in the, in the exile period, they start speaking out and they start saying, well, it's not just about God coming to judge the nations. He's also a God of grace. He'll also offer forgiveness. And so there are pictures in the Old Testament of the nations being drawn to Jerusalem. That's extraordinary. I mean, that breaks down the barriers in a radical way for a Jewish mindset. That, that God will actually draw in the nations and through repentance, The nations will actually be able to belong to God's people. They'll be a door in for the nations. They'll come to Jerusalem, isn't that amazing? That's a big picture for these Jews. So perhaps the disciples have got that in mind and and they're thinking, is this the moment when God will restore the fortunes of Israel and then the people, the nations will be drawn like a light. They'll be drawn to the light, perhaps that's the image. But here's the thing, Jesus turns it on its head Because rather than the nations being drawn to Jerusalem, and rather than the people protecting themselves from the nations around, Jesus is going to say that the kingdom purpose is for his people to go into the nations from Jerusalem. This isn't centripetal, it's centrifugal. Do you understand? Now you have to see how much a change of mindset that is for the Jews. They spend their whole time resisting the temptation of the nations, separating themselves from impurity. And now Jesus is saying the kingdom is about going into the nations, not in order to compromise, not in order to be in some way soiled. You understand that the the, the Old Testament logic is, is, is based on a fear of contamination by the nations. And Jesus here is totally turning it the other way around and he's saying, actually no, the kingdom works on the logic of a power given to be contagious to the nations and in the nations. It's not about protecting ourselves. God's purpose is never that we should protect ourselves. It's that we should change the world by his power. And that is the kingdom dynamic that Jesus introduced here. We get it a little bit in, in Luke's thing, again, Luke chapter 24, where Jesus says that repentance and forgiveness of sins, that's the dynamic of the kingdom, that's how you come into the kingdom, remember? Even the, even the nations perhaps could have, could, have, could have had that in the Old Testament understanding, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to his, in his name, in Jesus' name, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now that's where the disciples are going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The end point's meant to be Jerusalem. They're meant to come to Jerusalem, but Jesus is saying it starts in Jerusalem. And here in Acts, we get it even more explicitly. Acts 1 verse eight, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you see where he's sending them? In Christ, there is a new kingdom purpose, it's to go. That's a word for each of us, because we are so easily focused on ourselves. But it's also a word to the church, because the church, especially when it's suffering institutional decline, or when it's aware of the, of the way in which society around is losing its biblical basis or is, is, is losing its way, How easy it is for us to want to protect ourselves, to protect our children, to protect our families, to protect our church, so that we don't get corrupted by the nation around. But God's purpose is that his church should radiate light and transform the world, not be threatened by it. God's power is there so that we may go And it's that logic, that kingdom dynamic which transforms these early believers from disciples to apostles. And here it isn't a question of disciples. Here the word used is apostles, those who are sent. It's the same root as the word mission. Mission, those who are sent on mission. Every disciple of Christ is sent. That means you, that means me. Every one of us is called to be redefined in the image of Christ, and then to go, to reflect that outwards. Dynamic, contagious, joyful kingdom bearers in and for the world. So, the apostles, that's what they'll be. From now on throughout the book of Acts, they'll be apostles, they'll be sent out. They'll be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Extraordinary, we start in Jerusalem at the end of the book of Acts, where are we? In Rome, remember that in the New Testament, uh, an apocalyptic language, Rome is often described as Babylon, yeah? Babylon was the place the exiles had been sent to and the place they were attempting to, to sort of escape from in order to get back to Jerusalem, that was their logic. Exiles had to get back to Jerusalem to be safe. And now Jesus is sending them there. The end of the book of Acts, we're in Rome. We're in the center of the known world. We're at the heart of paganism. But we see the, the gospel being contagious in the way it spreads and transforms lives. And here's the amazing thing: the kingdom will come through them. You will be witnesses. You. This is your purpose. This is the big why. Now, just put yourself in their, in their place a moment. We don't know quite how many there were. Uh, the passage talks about 11. Afterwards on the day of Pentecost, we see there are about 120 of them, all right. So perhaps it's somewhere in between. 11 plus some women who weren't counted in an the, in the, in in apostolic circle. But maybe there are others as well. But, but however many there are, there aren't that many. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying to them, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, then around, and they're thinking, okay, we can probably just about manage that, and to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth? I mean, even if each of us take two or three countries, we're not even gonna get to the ends of the earth. How in the world are we gonna do that? And then they look at each other and they say, well, this is a big vision. But if we're gonna, I mean, where do we start? Remember, these are Galilean Jews. They've spent their lives separating themselves from the, from the nations. How in the world can they possibly go to them? And, and, and faced with this extraordinary, extraordinary vision, I imagine the disciples were, were, were quite at a loss to know what to do. <laughs> well, okay, where do we start? I mean, I, in, my, in their place, I would be. Sometimes I don't even know what day it is when I wake up. Let alone going to the, the nations to transform the nations and things. Faced with it, I feel powerless sometimes faced with the call that God puts on my life. You know, if I'm, if I'm there and God makes me and invites me to be remade in his image so that I can radiate out his love, where do I start? And what is more, he wants me to go to the nations, he wants me to go to everyone. I mean. And I can well understand the disciples just being perplexed, thinking this is surreal. I mean, Jesus doing things is one thing, but now he's, t- he's talking about us continuing it? And it will go to the, go to the ends of the earth? And here's the third thing that the passage draws out really clearly, not just that it's all centered on the King Jesus, or that it's all about our new defined expanding kingdom, and that we're called to be witnesses of it. The third thing is that with the purpose comes the power. Jesus does not ask his disciples to do what they cannot do. He asks them to start in Jerusalem and he says they will receive power. Friends, that is the same power that was at work in Christ. This is Jesus' spirit we're talking about. Do not leave Jerusalem, says Jesus to his disciples. He knows that, that, that perhaps some of the more excitable ones, maybe Peter, will want to get out there, at least try something, but without the power of God, There's no point trying to do the works of God. And you can't be a witness without having received the empowerment. So he says do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. And then he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Or in Luke's version, you are witnesses of these things I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Isn't that nice? Clothed with power from on high. Then they will fulfill their purpose. Then they will be able to step into what God is calling, to be witnesses in the power of the Spirit, or if you like, to continue the kingdom ministry in the same Spirit of Jesus, it could be such an impossible call. But indwelt by God's spirit it becomes possible. And, and, and there's an exciting part to this. Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't call them to do anything, he calls them to be everything. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you'll receive power and you will do witnessing. The church, you know, discovers her purpose and each one of us discovers our purpose in life when we realize it's about being someone. It's about being. It's about learning to dwell. Learning to receive that spirit of Christ who transforms us and changes us in his image. Being witnesses. It's about doing as Jesus did, being like him. And that comes from having his spirit in us. The same mindset, the same outlook, the same attitude. And that's what the spirit produces in us. He makes us like Christ. He clothes us with the same servant power. The word is dunamis, dynamite, dynamic, but servant-like. This isn't a power that crushes, this is a power that enables. You know over the last few um, months we've been trying to fashion a purpose statement for our church. This is how it goes. We are here to be a kingdom community, welcoming people in in Jesus' name, growing together as his disciples and stepping out in God's mission to The nations, welcoming in, growing together, stepping out. But the the most important word in all of that is be. We are called to be a kingdom community, be. Not do, or at least not at first. And this is what the early church is gonna learn through the pages of the book of Acts. You only achieve your purpose when you learn to be in Christ, in the spirit, with the Father. Which is why it's so important that they wait. They have to wait. Now we started by saying that there were two accounts here, one at the end of Jesus's ministry and one at the beginning of the book of Acts. How easy it would be for them to think in terms of this period of 40 days as the end. They know something's gonna happen and it ends with the ascension, remember? Jesus going up and they're standing there looking at the sky, we've even got it in our passage, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going and this is where God is good because he, he gives a little reminder of the resurrection. You remember the day of the resurrection you've got the two women or the women who go to the tomb and what do they see? They see two men in white who say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And here the disciples are staring up into the sky thinking this is the end. And then there are two men in white who say to them, why are you staring up at the sky? This isn't the end. It's the beginning. Actually, it's very interesting. The word sky and the word heaven in Greek are the same. It's just the translators who've twisted it for us here. When it says, they were looking intently up into the sky, it means up into heaven. So it goes like this. They were looking intently up into heaven as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up into heaven? this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Can you see? Four times the same word. Now, that's strange because you'd think that our purpose is to look into heaven, wouldn't you? But here's the thing, they think that's the end. And actually the point is, it's the beginning. And the beginning isn't heaven up there, the beginning is heaven down here when heaven and earth come together. That is what we pray. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not called to be staring into the sky and waiting for the day when God will come. We're called to be praying for his will to be done here and now. So we got a little window here between Ascension Day, which is next Thursday, and then Pentecost, 10 days during which we are called to be waiting, actively. It's not a moment for us to sit back and just look up in the sky and dream. It's a moment for us to be actively seeking God for his power so that we can be his witnesses wherever and however he calls us. Centered on Christ, messengers of the kingdom, full of the power, so let's commit ourselves, friends. Let's commit ourselves to setting time so that we can refocus on him, we can have his kingdom mindset and so we can receive his power so that the kingdom may come in our lives and in the lives of those we love on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.